Well, if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Amos uh, in the Old Testament. So uh, in the church Bibles, that's page 917. And in the large print Bibles, 1424. If you're struggling to find it and you haven't got a church Bible, then uh, use the contents at the beginning of your Bible. That will help you to, uh, to find it. And this evening we're going to look just at verses 1 and 2 of of Amos chapter 1. So to begin with, I'm just going to read uh, these uh, verses for us. Amos chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. The vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. This is God's word. Well, there has been uh, relative peace for a number of years now, although there is a rising threat in the East. The nation is prosperous, And money is flowing, but really only among uh, the rich elite. The rich are getting richer, and the poor are getting poorer. And the marks of an affluent society are, are all around. There is a strong property market. Uh, Many people are buying second homes. There is a, a sexual laxity where people throw off previous norms. Alcohol consumption is on the rise. There is corruption among the leadership of society. There is a pressure to trade seven days a week. Uh, There's an addiction to entertainment and momentary pleasures. And God is largely forgotten except for occasional rituals, which is really what religion has become all about. Now, of course, you are no doubt aware that I'm talking about the kingdom of Israel in the 8th century BC. And just by talking about the context of this book there, I hope you can see why the book of Amos is very relevant for us today. And it was to Israel in this condition that God sent a man called Amos to give a message to them from himself. Well, what was the message Amos was to give? Well, it was more of a terrifying noise. It was the roar of the lion. And we'll see shortly why this is a good uh, title for the book of Amos. You may have seen why that's a good title just from verse 2 in what the Lord does from Zion. 
And in introducing this book, which I'm probably right in saying is unfamiliar to many of us, uh, tonight we're going to just look at the first two verses uh, and try and get a feel for what this uh, prophecy is about. And in the introduction, we learn two major truths, that the Lord is the Lord who speaks and he is the Lord who judges. He's the Lord who speaks and the Lord who judges. So first of all, the Lord who speaks. Now it is an act of great mercy that God is a speaking God. He speaks to Israel when they are in a terrible condition as his people. And it's a mercy that God speaks. Because, because of our sin, God would be right to leave us in our ignorance of him. But in his mercy, he speaks to us. And verse 1 tells us all about the Lord who speaks. So first of all, in verse 1, we see how God speaks through his messenger. Uh, look with me at the beginning of verse 1. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw. So the vision was given to a man, Amos. We don't read uh, about much about him anywhere else in the Bible. What we know of Amos really uh, comes from this book with his name. But here we see, first of all, he was a shepherd. But he wasn't the kind of shepherd, I think, that comes to our mind when we think of a shepherd. Because when we think of a shepherd, we imagine someone who watches over a flock, a bit like King David did before he was king, or one of the shepherds in the Christmas story watching over their flocks by night. Amos was not that kind of a shepherd. Because the word for shepherd here in Amos uh, chapter 1, verse 1, is not the usual Hebrew word for shepherd. In fact, it's only used in one other place in the Old Testament. And it refers, rather than a shepherd watching over their flocks um, by night, as in the Christmas uh, carol, uh, someone who manages shepherds, someone who breeds sheep. So Amos would have been a businessman rather than a man watching over the flocks. His business was sheep. But also, his business was something else. If you flip forward in Amos to chapter 7 and verse 14, we read these words. Amos answered Amaziah, who he was speaking to in this chapter. We'll come to it another time. I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore trees. So he wasn't part of a family of priests or prophets. His business was sheep, and he diversified into sycamore trees as well. And he was called by God out of his business to go and deliver a message to Israel. And Israel was not an easy place for Amos to go. Uh, he was from Tekoa, which was about 10 miles south of Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. And about 130 years or so before this prophecy, God's people had been divided into two kingdoms. Israel was the northern kingdom, and Judah, where Amos was from, 
was the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom had a mixed bag of kings, some being good and some evil. And the northern kingdom of Israel only ever had evil kings who did not follow the ways of the Lord their God. And generally over their history, Israel in the north and Judah in the south were not friendly. And in the recent history of Israel in the time of Amos, Israel had inflicted a heavy military defeat on Judah. And so the people in the north were not going to take kindly to this man coming from the south and telling them what to do. This was not a comfortable mission that Amos was called to go on. But he was delivering the word of God. He is a messenger from God because it is God's word that Amos passes on. The words of this Tekoan shepherd, notice in verse 1, are the vision that he saw. Uh, Notice how it's interesting that the words he speaks are the vision he sees. So God gave Amos a vision, and Amos delivered the vision he saw in words to the northern kingdom of Israel. This messenger from God was to leave his business, go north, and deliver a message that God had shown him in a vision. Now today, God still speaks through his messengers. He he delivers his message through his people. You don't have to be born into a special family of prophets or pastors or priests to be a messenger of God. God can call you from whatever your business may be. Now, in one sense, you can apply this to being a preacher. God does come, call some people uh, to preach the gospel in formal circumstances. For example, uh, I was called by God to come here in Pelsall. In fact, like Amos, I was <coughs> called from the, the south to come to these northern barbarians and preach God's word. But more than being called as a pastor, really this applies in the New Testament to all of God's people. We are all messengers of God. Listen to how Paul describes this in the New Testament. He says, we are, talking about God's people, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. Now, an ambassador is a representative of a country who is to deliver the message of that nation's government to the government of another country. The ambassador doesn't get to choose the message he delivers. He is given it from the prime minister, the president, the queen or king, or whoever it is that leads his country, and he is to pass that on to the representatives of another country. And Paul uses that illustration to describe Christians. We are messengers or ambassadors from heaven come to this earth to deliver the message of our king to the nations of this world. And like Amos, we are messengers called from wherever we are to go to uncomfortable places which can be the ends of the earth 
but the very uncomfortable place of your family kitchen table is also included to deliver what God has revealed to us. And for what God has revealed to us, that is his written word. That's the message he's given us to pass on to others. And sometimes that can be very uncomfortable, can't it? It can be hard to deliver the message God has given us. We, we can want to sugarcoat it and change it and twist it to make it more appealing. But we're to give the word of God as God gives it to those God brings to us to give it to. And so in this opening line of Amos, we are called to both listen to God speaking through his word and if we're Christians, as his ambassadors, to pass that word on to others as well. So God speaks through his messenger. But secondly, God speaks, uh, is meant to say, to his people. God speaks to his people. Notice uh, in verse 1 how Amos' message or his vision was concerning Israel. Concerning Israel. Although Israel and Judah were divided, both could claim to be the people of God, the descendants of Abraham. And the problem was that Israel was wayward. They were walking away from God and so were facing God's judgment. Now we'll see the sin of Israel as we go through the prophecy, but what I want you to notice is this. At the beginning, I gave a description of Israel in the 8th century BC, which was eerily familiar to us today. However, God is speaking here to his own people, meaning that God's own people were not living as God's people. They were living as the nations surrounding them, and God would judge them accordingly. Just because we are God's people, it does not mean that God will allow us to just live as we please with no reference to him and then expect him not to judge us for it. Peter speaks of judgment beginning with the house of God. And so as we read this prophecy in Amos, it would be wrong for us to look at Israel and other nations and say, ha, look at all they were doing. Look at the world around us. Look at all that they are doing wrong. And not recognize that this is for God's people today. That we would see the error of our ways. That we might repent. As Christians, we can be very good at seeing the sin of all the world around us. Of those pagans out there. And be totally blind to the sin in our own lives and in our own church body. There have been many churches that once were thriving, but no longer even exist because they did not deal with the sin in their midst. They walked away from the ways of God. And so this word from Amos must be a warning to us as God's people today. So he speaks through his messenger, to his people, and finally on this point, God speaks in history. So the word of God to Israel came at a specific time and place. First of all, we read that it was 
two years before the earthquake. Now, we cannot know for certain what this earthquake was, when it was an earthquake, but which earthquake it was. But since earthquakes are quite regular in the Middle East, that this one is mentioned as the earthquake means that it must have been a very severe earthquake. This particular earthquake that Amos mentions, he prophesies about in this message. But 200 years later, Zechariah the prophet, when he speaks of judgment coming on the southern kingdom of Judah, he mentions the same earthquake too. He says, You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. So this earthquake must have been significant. It was prophesied by Amos, and it was mentioned 200 years later in the days of Zechariah. And because Amos prophesied this earthquake, we must note too that when God says something will happen, it will happen. He is in control of history. But whilst not knowing the date of the earthquake, we can know the time period of this prophecy because Amos dates it or gives an approximate date with naming some kings. He says he spoke when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Both King Uzziah and King Jeroboam II had long and prosperous reigns. But the content of the prophecy, combined with these kings being on the throne at the same time, means we can date this prophecy to around 760 BC. Now you can read about the reign of Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, but since this prophecy concerns Israel, I think it would be good if we read about Jeroboam II's reign. So turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 14. It's on page 384 in the church Bibles, 384, and 591 in the large print ones. Uh, 2 Kings 14, and I will read from verses 23 to 29. This is the reign of Jeroboam II, king of Israel, the man whose reign it was when uh, Amos prophesied. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gethhepha. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. As for the other events of Jeroboam's reign, all he did, and his military achievements, including how he recovered for Israel both Damascus and Hamath, 
which had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the books of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jeroboam rested with his ancestors, the kings of Israel, and Zechariah, his son, succeeded him as king. In these verses, we see that Jeroboam II was a successful military leader who brought freedom and prosperity to the nation. Israel had been under the thumb of Syria or Damascus, but Jeroboam defeated them. He brought peace. He extended the borders of Israel too, as was prophesied by Jonah. This was a time, really, of Israel's greatest success. They had never been as prosperous as they were here. And so at the time of their greatest success, God brings them a word in season from Amos. And God speaks to us a word that we need to hear at the time we need to hear it. He is the Lord over history, and he speaks into each era, whether that be an era of success or otherwise, with just the words we need to hear. Of course, the Bible uh, does not change according to the changing times, but the way that we apply the truth of God's word does apply to every age that God's word is preached. And so although Amos was a prophecy hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, in fact, Amos through his word, is going to speak to us in 2022, in Pelsall, in whatever circumstances you find yourselves in. And also, isn't it amazing how God gives us the word we need to hear at just the time in our history that we need to hear it? God has a way of giving us the word we need to hear at just the right time. And so as his people, as we begin this prophecy in Amos, we should come expecting God to speak to us through this message to his people and in the moment in history in your life and in the life of this church where we are at. But whilst this applies specifically to listening to this series on Amos, we can broaden it out more generally because the Bible as a whole is God's message for us today. And the question we need to be asking ourselves is this. Are you listening to what God is saying? When God's word is preached, are you listening? Are you alert? Are you awake? Are you straining to understand what God is going to say as this book is opened? When the Bible is read in your homes. If it's not, that's another application. Read it in your homes. When it's read there, are you listening to what God is saying? When you're reading it for yourself, are you just going through the motions of reading the next part of the passage you've got to read in your plan? Or are you asking God to help you understand and then seeking to, to grasp the truths and how they apply to your life? When you're in Sunday school, or in the youth work, or in discoverers? Are you listening to what God is saying as we teach his word there? It can be easy to switch off, but we must listen to the God who speaks. 
Because his word is the word of life that we really need to hear. So first of all, we see from Amos the Lord who speaks. But secondly, we see the Lord who judges. The message Amos is given by God is one of judgment. Notice this in verse 2. He, or Amos, said, The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. So the word from God is a roar, like the roar from a lion. The picture given here is like a lion roaring as it is going to devour its prey. This is not a tame lion. This is not a caged lion. This is not a fluffy lion that you might have at the end of your bed to cuddle at night. This is a lion that is on the offensive. This is a lion that speaks of an imminent danger. This is a lion who is violent. This is a lion who will judge. And the Bible uses the image of a lion for judgment, specifically God's judgment, in other places in the Old Testament too. Uh, so, for example, Isaiah 34, 31. As a lion growls a great lion over its prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against it, it is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. So, in the same way, the Lord Almighty will come down and do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights. So notice there, the Lord is described as the lion who is growling over its prey. Uh, in Jeremiah, in vain I punished your people. They did not respond to correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a ravenous lion. And then in the Hosea, which is a contemporary of Amos, by the way. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. So in all of these verses, it's a common theme that when God is described as a lion, this is not something tame or caged or cuddly. This is something terrifying. Judgment from God is coming, this means. And over the coming weeks, we will, go, we will see what the, the roar sounds like as we look into this prophecy in Amos. And if a lion speaks of the destructive capability of God, the metaphor of the thunder of God, of his voice, speaks of the force of its power. It can be heard booming across the earth as it speaks. But there's something important to notice about this roar, this roaring thunder. Notice where it comes from. It comes from Zion and Jerusalem. Both of these names, Zion and Jerusalem, refer to the same place, the capital city of Judah, where the temple is built. 
the place where the Lord God of Israel dwells. Now, this is important because the northern kingdom of Israel, where Amos was going, had two rival places of worship set up. One in a place called Bethel and one in a place called Dan. And in those places, they worship the god Baal. But the Lord does not roar from Bethel or Dan because he doesn't reside there. The Lord speaks from Zion or Jerusalem. And it's a message to Israel that is telling them the Lord is God, not Baal or anybody else. The Lord alone is God. There is one God and he speaks from one place and it's his word that counts. And it's his word that's powerful. Because in the days where Amos was preaching, the gods of the land were supposed to look after their territory. But the Lord who speaks from Zion, he's the Lord over the land of Israel as well. Look at what the word of judgment will do. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. So the Lord who judges is the Lord over creation and will destroy the land of Israel with drought. From the lowest point where the shepherds' pastures are, which were supposed to be green uh, with the grass to feed the sheep, to the high point of Mount Carmel, whose waters had sustained Elijah the prophet in a previous drought, there will be destruction from bottom to top in Israel. The whole land will be devastated. And Baal or any other god won't be able to do anything about it because the Lord is the God of Israel. And in fact, we're going to see in Amos that the Lord is the God and the judge, not just of Zion, not just of Israel, but of every single nation. The Lord is the Lord who judges. The, sh- the, the, the fields of the shepherds in Israel, the top of Carmel in Israel, will be destroyed. Now, it's easy to forget about or not think about God being judge. Imagining him as a roaring lion seeking to kill its prey is not something that is cuddly or nice to think about, is it? In fact, when we think of a roaring lion, we're more accustomed, I think, to picturing the devil in that way, because in Peter, Satan is described as a lion prowling to to devour. But God is described as a lion far, far more Because God is a God who is serious about sin and will judge sin. And the image of God as a lion is especially uncomfortable when we think about the fact that Amos is speaking to God's people. But it's important to remember that just because God does love his people, 
it does not mean that the sin of his people is any less serious. On the contrary, one uh, writer, Alec Mocha, has said something which challenged me greatly. God never hates sin more than when he sees it in the life of his people. God never hates sin more than when he sees it in the life of his people. Because we're the people who should know better. The people who he's revealed his word to. So as we read this prophecy together, let's take seriously what it's saying to us as his people. As we read Amos and hear God speak and and take it seriously though, we must make sure that when we read this, we are reading it as New Testament people. Israel were eventually taken into uh, captivity and exile in 722 BC, and they never returned to their land. God judged them for their sin. And if that's where the story ended, well, this series would be really depressing. But in the New Testament, God speaks again. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the God who speaks, isn't he? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God spoke through Amos and through prophets like him. But today... The Lord speaks through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who has authority over all creation, whose words are true, whose words will come to pass. Jesus is the Lord who speaks. But Jesus also is the Lord who judges. First of all, consider how Jesus takes God's judgment for us as his people. Jesus is the one who is perfect. He never sinned. He didn't deserve God's judgment on humanity, yet he came and he died in our place on the cross, taking our sin upon himself. The judgment we deserve was poured out on Jesus. And on the third day, he rose from the dead and then later ascended into heaven. And from heaven, Jesus rules over all the world. And one day, Jesus is coming again as the judge to judge the whole world for sin. He will not come as a baby in a manger. But the Bible calls Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah, whose roar will be heard all over the world as he judges those who have rejected him. So Jesus is the lion who roars. But Jesus also rules in a special way over his people. In the book of Revelation, we read of Jesus the judge going through 
his churches in the seven letters, judging them, calling them to repentance. And he does the same for his people today. As we read Amos, God is going to call us to repentance. His true people today aren't going to face his eternal wrath. Jesus took the wrath for us. But we do still come under God's fatherly discipline. He judges us in that way. We must still take sin very seriously, like God does. There are consequences for us as his people not taking sin seriously that we'll see as we go through. But the wonderful thing for the Christian is that our relationship with the lion is very different from someone who is not one of God's people. In fact, the way that we relate to the lion is described very well by C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Because when we relate to the lion, it's like this. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And so as we listen to the roar of the lion in Amos, we come to our God listening to him who is good, but not safe. And so may it be a wake-up call to us as his people to take a long, hard look at ourselves so that in the words of chapter 5, we may seek him and live. And may God show us how to do that together as we study this prophecy in the weeks and months ahead. Well, before we come to the Lord's table and look at that judgment on Christ for us, uh, we're going to sing together as God's people. We're going to sing by and remember that God took the judgment we deserve upon himself. We don't have to be terrified of the roar of the lion if we are trusting in the lion of the tribe of Judah. So before we come to the Lord's table and remember his death for us, let's stand and sing before the throne of God above. Let's, let's do that together and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. <laughs>